Make that shit so loud, so obnoxious. You should not be able to scroll and miss that or assume it's a part of the site's UI design or not to be clicked on, especially the hover state. If you have a desktop, like you should have a hover state. There should be some sort of, something should happen when you hover over. You almost want the same color to be used the entire journey. Yeah. Uh, whether when it's like add to cart, then it's like start checkout and then it's complete purchase or whatever it is. There should be the same color continuity, obviously, but that color should be like a unique color. So no one else, like you're not like, oh, where is this? Yeah. Like that color needs to stand on its own and be the only color that follows you around. Yes. To be like, th my journey is green or blue or, a bl you know, not black, but like, you know, red. Okay. I click red buttons to move along. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Hey, Moyes, a couple weeks ago, I saw this company, ProMix, launched a protein-packed Rice Krispie Treat. I don't know if you've heard of them, but the coolest part was after I purchased, I immediately got an email from Postscript Cash Back, and it gave me $15 of cash that I could redeem on my next purchase, which I used as soon as my first box of bars ran out. Have you seen this before? Yeah, it's Postscript Cash Back. It's a new product for them. It's amazing. Uh, Postscript is really known for SMS, but this Cash Back product actually increases email and SMS signups by 31%. It increases contribution bar margin by 5%. It's going to be huge for Postscript. That's amazing. If you want to see a demo and see how the product works, visit postscript.io slash limited. That's postscript.io slash limited. All right, Nick, we're back uh, for episode nine of season seven. Finally we're in back person. in the studio. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. I hate so, remote recording. Remote recording I love is this so much, so much better. It's so also, much the tougher. best part about this is like, if I have a long day or a long week, this makes it so much better. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, I'm so excited to hear that. We got a bunch of stuff that we want to talk about today. The thing I'm most excited about is 20 CRO tips. Uh, last episode, we did, um, we sort of audited a website called PF Candle. And we went through and said, hey, here's a bunch of things that you guys should change on your website to make it more conversion rate friendly. Mm -hmm. You've got 20 tips that you want to provide today, which I'm really excited about to hear because I feel like I, I want to know those 20 tips. You have a checklist of things at Sharma Brands that you wish you had done differently back when you started Sharma Brands and you were growing it. And you're like, if we had done this checklist, we wouldn't have made all these mistakes I feel like I've got a bunch of checklists. I've never written them down, but I've got a bunch in my head about all the things I've done poorly. Amazing. But where we want to start really quickly is a sale of a business that just happened, which was Jonathan Van Ness Hare. Do you know Jonathan Van... Do you know who he is? Yeah, JVN. Tell everyone about him because I'm not sure everyone knows about him. I actually I don't know much about him. I think he was on the show Queer Eye, yes. right? And yes. And he built... The, he has this following. He's built it more. He uh, started a, a hair care line. Yep. That recently sold, and that's about as much as I know. And he was like the hair guy on Queer Eye for the straight... I'm not sure if it was just called Queer Eye or if it's queer, called Queer... I, I didn't watch the show, really, but he was like the guy who would be like, uh, let's make your hair awesome Yeah, on Queer Eye. And his products look amazing. They're on jvnhair.com, and they look really beautiful. Do you know how much the business sold for? No, tell me. $1.25 million. Wow. Their valuation was like a few hundred million at some point, right? I'm not sure if their valuation was a few hundred million dollars. This was part of like a bankruptcy or near bankruptcy sale to a company called Winsong, which I wasn't aware of earlier. Um, and the reason I wanted to bring this up with you is because it feels like, you know, we're, we were talking about this a few weeks ago. We were talking about something Navy. I feel like I know a bunch of celebrity 
brands that didn't go anywhere. Like, yeah. you know, Prime did, the Skims did. Yeah. I think Lemmy did. But why are there some brands that like don't make, like why do some make it and why do some not? Like what is it about the celebrities that make it? And what is it, you know, I used to think it was just about, oh, the size of the following isn't large enough. Yeah. But I'm not sure that's the case because there have been people who have really small brands or like small followings that have made real brands. For sure. Uh, like Kristen S, I think is a great example. She sells a hair care brand at Target and it's yeah. done really well. Why is it that some of these influencers are making brands that work and some influencers are making brands that go nowhere? I think this is pretty applicable across the board, but if you partner up with a celebrity who is not a natural content creator, almost immediately you can guarantee it's not going to work. And by natural content creator, I don't necessarily mean that they have to be a YouTuber or a TikToker or somebody who's picking up a selfie camera and making a video or a UGC style video. But for example, uh, if you look at Jennifer Aniston, she makes videos for Lola V in her bathroom and records them with her iPhone and those run as ads somebody who has like a natural inkling to want to create content, that is like number one. I think a lot of the failed ones, they're just not content creators. And so because of that, they're also not very in touch with how are people responding? What are they, you know, what messaging points do they like or what do they not like? Things like that. The other one is that for celebrity brands to work really effectively, it's basically a game of distribution on both sides. One is on the eyeball side. So let's take Feastables, right? Yep. Feastables immediately hundreds of millions of eyeballs, but at the same time, they had to have those tens of thousands of distribution points to go pick it up. Because just because you get the eyeballs, yeah. a very tiny fraction of a percent are going to end up on the site and end up buying the product. It has to be available for- So you need massive distribution. Yeah, exactly. The other one that I think is pretty important, and it, it comes through in the content and in the- the copywriting, the packaging, how the whole thing is presented is like, how involved is this person actually in the brand? Yeah. Are they just sitting, you know, are they brought in by a talent agency? They get some points on the, on the table and now they're just basically the face of it with an obligatory, you know, quarterly post and X number of stories and show up to two events or were they the ones in the boardroom at the beginning thinking about, okay, like Selena Gomez with Rare Beauty, the new comfort club they launched. Yeah. She thought about, okay, well, people who have hands that slip or can't grip as easily, how do we make the packaging a little bit different for them? Sure. People who, you know, the whole idea of mental health with Rare Beauty, how do we make the products more calming so that when you put them on, you actually feel calm? And um, so I think even the celebrity, like being actually involved in the brand makes a huge difference from the beginning to the end. Um, okay. Uh, I, I, like, I, I agree with some of those points and disagree with others. Like Jonathan Van Ness... He has 5.7 million Instagram followers. Yeah. I think he is a natural content creator. I think he's constantly creating content. I'm not sure if he's always creating like content specifically for his brand, but I think he is like a natural content creator. And, you know, I think his product, his product is definitely at Sephora. I think it's at several other locations as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think he has a little bit of distribution, maybe not as much distribution as you'd expect. I think there's a couple of things. One is... Does the celebrity want to do this? Is actually like a, like a almost a paramount question. Yeah. I once talked to this guy named Jeff Curl who runs Stance Socks. And he's like, you know, I would interview all these influencers to be like celebrities that worked with Stance Socks. And he's like, most like people would come in, the first thing they'd say is, what are the economics? Mm -hmm. Like, how much am I going to make? Like, you know, how much are you going to make? How often do I have to post something about Stan Socks? And he's like, I never wanted to work with any of those people. And he's like, I talked to Dwayne Wade, and Dwayne Wade was like, 
socks have always been a huge issue for me. Like finding good socks, finding socks that are really comfortable, that don't get really wet while I'm playing the game are impossible to find. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, he's like, I love Stan socks. And Curl was like, this is guys the right guy for us because he sees this as a genuine problem for him. Yeah. He's going to talk about it not only when he has to, but when he doesn't have to. And when he talks about it, he's going to get excited. And you're going to notice that in the sound of his voice and his intonation, his facial expressions, everything. And so I think part of it is you need to find a celebrity who is excited about it. Like, totally. I think Prime, the guys are actually excited about it. Like, I think that... Aside from probably drinking Prime when they're like at home, I think that like when they do drink Prime and talk about it, they light up. Totally. And I think you need that. The other side of things is I think you need an insane operator that no one has ever heard of to actually do this. And I think not enough people talk about this. That is such this. a good part. The no one has ever heard of part. Yeah. Like, um, you know who's not running Skims? Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Uh, you know who's not running JVS or JVN hair? Jonathan Van Ness, I would imagine. Yeah. Like generally there's a CEO behind the brand. And that that CEO sort of ma helps make makes all of the decisions. And I think often those influencers, when they get try and get their hands really dirty in the business, are are making a terrible mistake. Agreed. It's also like the reason you're using them is not because they're a good CEO. It's because they're really good at something else that yes. you can leverage. Yes. Yeah. And you what you don't want is you don't want Logan Paul to be like, let me learn about freight. Yeah. And determine <laughs> like, you know, how expensive is it going to be to get these like bottles from here to here? And let me in offer my input. I mean, I look, offer your input if you want. And if you're really going to learn about it, great. I got it. If you want to be an operations guy, I'm sure you've got the skill set and the talent to do it. But it's going to take time and it's going to take humbling because you're not going to know what LTL and FTL are if you're Logan Paul probably right out of the gate. Right. Realistically, you probably don't want to invest your time in something that you can pay somebody $75,000 a year to do because that's not like, you know, your time is far more valuable than right. that. And so I think a lot of times they don't have that right CEO or like I, I think the problems are often they're not excited about it. The CEO that they have is not a good CEO or the celebrity actually believes that they should be CEO and like, you know, interferes in the business in a way that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like I know celebrities who have brands and they just say no to all product launches. They're just like, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. If they worked with Apple and you're like, here's an, here's the Apple vision pro, they'd be like, this isn't good enough. Yeah. You know, it's just like, we're never going to make any progress here. And then I've known brands where the CEOs like, we need to launch this line. And then we need to, I need to get involved in operations and finance and understand all this stuff. And you're like, this is not going to be your skill set. Like your skill set is showing our brand to everybody and like basically having your own channel and being your own Facebook not necessarily the finance side of things. And so I think that like those, I'm not sure where these problems get uh, happen. Like I think it's something Navy. It was probably a little bit of, uh, actually, I don't know what the problem was. I think there was a little bit of all three. Yeah. But like, I, I think there are all these problems that actually cause these influencer led brands to fail. But I'm not sure, like, you know, I don't have any internal information at JVN. Yeah. The other thing uh, that came to mind, which uh, people probably won't like is, as you were saying that, is CEOs who want to be the celebrity. Yes. Or who try oh, to go be God. the celebrity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those never work. And I think that was also probably a little bit with something Navy as well. Yeah. But yeah, I think overall, I fully agree with everything you said. There's a lot of direct-to-consumer businesses, like not celebrity, forget about the celebrities, yeah. where the CEO is trying to be a trying celebrity. To be a celebrity. And I'm like, how do you have this much time to be Same on? with the SaaS companies in this space. That, that, definitely, yeah. If I look at the companies I've invested in, the companies where the CEO creates zero content are 10 times bigger yes. than the companies where the CEOs are trying to create content and build in public. 
I think their their uh, intention may start out right, like uh, and genuine, which yeah. is if we build and talk about this on Twitter, we're going to get free customer acquisition, which is so hard to do when you're. And I'm going to name this business. I don't think it's them. Retention.com, like sure. you know, or or you know, Nostra, or you know, whatever you are, or Postscript, even. Yeah. Right. Like like a customer to Postscript is worth so much money. Totally. And so if we build in public or like just uh, are active on Twitter, maybe we can get those. Uh, maybe we can get customers for free. But I think it quickly turns into you know what's fun is seeing a bunch of people tweet at you all the time. And uh, engaging yeah. with those people and becoming like you know Becomes walking like a around dopamine thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was uh, I was at the Super Bowl and some guys like, hey, uh, I know who you are, and I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. And I was there with my brother. I was at like you know I went somewhere for New Year's uh, to this hotel, and this guy's like, hey, I know who you are, and I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. And you know, I like that. Sure. Uh, and like you know, it's nice to uh, like you know, and the more like you know, I understand if some guys have like ghostwriters, but a lot of these people are actually doing it themselves, and right. I think they're spending way too much time doing it. Fully agreed. Let's go on to these 20 conversion rate optimization tricks. Okay, I'm really awesome. excited about them. Hit me. Okay, so these are 20 tips that I think everybody could go through, and um, it's all around CRO. So we'll start with the first one. So this one, and some of these are going to sound obvious, but I'll explain them a little bit. And if you have questions, feel free to throw them at me. The first one is optimize your entire campaign across mobile first. So write copy for mobile, optimize the video or the static ad for mobile, optimize the landing page experience for mobile, primarily focusing on above the fold offers and CTAs. The reason for this is that majority of your paid social traffic comes from mobile. And it's just a good rule of thumb to make sure from design fun, uh, funnel design and CRO that you are mobile first. Most people, you know, when we're working and we're thinking through things or trying to find examples of other funnels, we do it all on a desktop computer because we're sitting at our desk. Yes. But we have to be empathetic to those who are actually seeing yes. the ads and clicking the ads. They're coming from a shitty 4G or 5G, which I think is slower than LTE. They're coming from a shitty 5G iPhone to your site. It's got to load quick. It's got to be mobile optimized. And if you don't have something that captures them kind of like a tentacle, that they can latch to or wrap onto, then you've already lost. Yeah. In fact, I, I agree with that entirely. Um, I remember my first website that we started for taskers was not mobile optimized. And some like the first thing somebody did was they're like, look at what it looks like on mobile. And I was like, oh fuck, are people already, this is back in 2012. I was like, are people already purchasing on their cell phone? Yeah. And so we did what Apple did at the time, which was we don't have a mobile website. You just go to our desktop website and you like zoom and pinch everywhere. And Apple only did this in the last like three years. They developed a mobile first site. Yeah. Like, it was very late to the game. But yes, of course, more than half your traffic is going to be mobile. Of totally. course, you have to optimize for that. The, the next one caters right to that, which is basically focusing on load time. So a lot of people, they take these really beautiful photographs. Yeah. They make these incredible videos, uh, these beautiful graphics, yes. illustrations. You upload it to your site and they're fully unoptimized. They're, you know, it takes anywhere from two to six seconds to load a site and then again, you think about that shitty 5G iPhone coming in, you're talking about like 10 to 12 seconds and you're going to lose somebody almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. You do have to make sure that your images aren't like massive and taking yeah. forever to load. I completely, yes, that, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, landing pages are really good there because you can host them on a subdomain, which don't have any of the other scripts or pixels that your main site might have, but you can at least get the user landed. So for example, with Unbounce, you can almost guarantee like a one second load time. No matter what, you bring in a huge image and it'll, they'll, they'll do still, it. They'll make yeah. it so that okay. unbounce will compress it. Okay. Awesome. Next one is to use heat map tools. So you want to use, so I, you can use Hotjar or Microsoft Clarity. Yeah. I like Clarity cause it's yeah. free. Yeah. But the three things I do there are, 
a heat map. So you just look at a general heat map on desktop and mobile. You look at where people are spending time, their cursors uh, dragging along. You look at scroll depth maps, which helps you understand even more than the heat map, how far are people actually going down and where is that drop off point? Yeah, I think that's incredibly important. I'm going to stop you right there is because so many people are like, like I'm going to keep building more and more proof and stuff at the bottom. And I'm like, 3% of people are going to see this. Like very few people will continue to scroll down. When I was building Native's website, actually, I created the, like, you know, the the top part was obvious. You pick a scent and add to cart button. Then the bottom was like a stick of deodorant and a bunch of like the ingredients and what they do and then reviews. And I was like, I need to add more. And then I was like, no, actually nobody is going to go below this. Yeah. And like, even then getting to like the, people would get to the reviews a little bit, but no one, almost no one would even get near the footer because they're like, I've seen enough, you know, on mobile, it's so important because the reality is most people are not getting as low as you think that they are. Exactly. And that brings up a really good point, which is actually my favorite example is a contract. When you read an agreement or a contract and you come across paragraph two and it says the word client. Yeah. Right. Above, client is actually defined. Yes. Every word in a contract is previously defined. Yes. And the same thing has to go with your customer journey here, where if you get to that native PDP and you're talking about jojoba oil, but you didn't describe that before or give context to that, either in the ad or above the fold on the page, you're going to lose somebody right there as well. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So you have to have context of like what's below the fold, above the fold. Exactly. Okay. Or even just if you give somebody a term or a word or a piece of jargon that's confusing or very industry specific, make sure you define it. So when they read it, they can read it and understand it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Next Uh, thing on the heat map is the, the user session recordings, which are my favorite because it's like sitting back and eating popcorn, just watching users interact on yeah, your site. Yeah. It helps you understand like where are people clicking? You know, for example, if you have a product with a bunch of variants, it's really easy to understand which variants you should reprioritize. It'll also help you just understand where are people dropping off? Like what yeah. gets them to either add to cart content wise or what gets them to drop off and realize that it's not for them? Yeah, what I really like about that is like, you'll see how far they'll scroll to the bottom, then they'll yeah. scroll to the top and yes. add to cart. And I'm like, okay, this is where you were convinced. Exactly. Do you think there should be an add to cart button always at the bottom of a mobile oh, yeah. page? Yeah, actually, I'll go to that one next, which is... Because um, I don't... Like, who does that really... I never do that. And I wonder if everyone else does that and I'm making a big mistake. Yeah, I think you should have a global... I call it global, but basically just means it follows you around across the whole site. Some sort of a add to cart button, you know, shop bestsellers button, something that's always triggering you to want to click and get into a funnel or get into a consumer journey. You know, if you're driving paid traffic, ideally you're going to one of these already. Yeah. But if somebody's coming from Google Shopping or a catalog ad, they end up on a PDP, then they click to the homepage, they're not really sure what to get. Yeah. You should have something that can get them back into that into that journey. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying though is like, you know, on a PDP when you're scrolling down and you're yeah. like deep below the fold, should you have an add to cart button right there? Or should you like expect people to go up to the top? Do you have any opinion on that? I'm a fan of always just having one visible. Okay. At least one visible. Okay. You can have it where if you scroll down past a certain point, it enables. So yeah. if you get too yeah. far deep, but maybe it's like if you're one section away from the, yeah, yeah. From you the can buy box, to the you top. just keep it. Okay. Yeah. All right. The other one I have is I call it the trace framework, which stands for technology, reporting, audience, creative, and experience. Technology is your, any tech you use, you know, North Beam, Triple Whale, whatever. Reporting is just make sure you're actually looking at the reporting, your creative reporting, your uh, Facebook reporting, whatever it is. Audience is who you're going after. Creative is the messaging, positioning, merchandising, and experience is the the offer or the page you're going to. And basically just making sure that that trace funnel 
is set from start to finish. So that means that the messaging at the Facebook ad that you first see is consistent with the follow-up email somebody gets after they put their email in on the site, and that's cohesive. Oh my God. Uh, that I is like so, that? I, I like that, but I also think that's so much work. It is, but like, it works. So basically, if I see an ad for native deodorant, I'm like, okay, uh, prevents bad odors, mm -hmm. then I should get an e my first email should be, hey, this is really good at preventing bad or odors. Exactly. But if I click over from an ad that says aluminum free because aluminum is terrible for you, then my first email should be, hey, this is aluminum free. So anytime you create an ad, you should sort of create an email probably. So, you know, I read this thing a long time when I was uh, in college, I, I would go to men's health forums because I was like, okay, uh, no woman will ever talk to me. <laughs> and so this is really depressing. So I was like, what should I be doing? So I'd go to these dumb men's health forums and they're like, anytime you buy a pair of shoes, you need to pick up a belt that's the exact same color. Like oh, basically wow. brown shoes, brown belt, which I actually that's didn't know. That's why women don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, your reputation for shoes. <laughs> no, but I didn't know that you were supposed to wear brown shoes, brown belt. And that actually was uh, enlightening to me. Yeah. And now I feel like what you're saying is ad email. Like anytime you create a new ad that says, um, you know, aluminum free is good for you. You have to have the follow-up email for that. In theory, at this point, you have two to three things that yeah, you know that, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, gotcha. This isn't yeah. like when you're testing 30 yeah, angles. Okay, gotcha. All right, so you've got two or three. Th yeah, okay, wow. That's Even that's surprising. I never did that. I was always really? like, we had the same email. Uh, hey, welcome. Fair, I don't think it was as necessary three years, years ago. ago. Yeah, 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 even yeah. three years ago. Yeah, yeah. All right, next one. This one's the biggest one that I think so many people miss that would dramatically impact conversion rate if they just added it. Social proof. Your homepage hero, add those stars, add how many deodorants sold, add how many followers you, like whatever you have for social proof, add it and use it. It should be always visible. Social proof should be one thumb away, one thumb scroll up or down or left or right away from being able to see social proof and understand that other people, you're not alone. Other people, thousands of people have tried this before you have to make sure it's not going to be ruined for you. A lot of times homepages have no social proof in their hero section. Product pages lack social proof. Ads lack social proof. You know who does this the best is Jolie, in my opinion. Their entire site, start to finish, is entirely built off of social proof. All their ads are basically UGC from other people that's been collected and submitted and approved. Uh, but like even Jolie's product page images, you know, image number three, four, and five are basically social proof or pieces of social proof that they just move up. And it's done really well. At first, I thought it was corny. I think it's genius because it's done extremely well for them. And they've never had to change that and get rid of that. Yeah, I think social proof is a no-brainer. Uh, one of the things that we used to do, like when I was running Native, we had like uh, different tabs. We're like, here's the description where we're like, okay, this is the deodorant. Here are all the ingredients and here's ingredients and here's why they're great. And then down here is reviews. Yeah. And then we A-B tested. Should we just have reviews shown? And like, like you could click, click the tab that said reviews and then you'd pop up just the reviews. Yeah. So forget about the reviews below. We were basically like, here's an add to cart button. Here's some more information. And then here are reviews. And it turned out that nobody even liked that. They just wanted an add to cart button and reviews. Yeah. And like, look, when you go to Amazon, what's the first thing you do? You just look at reviews because you're like, review. this is what is going to make me uh, excited about this product. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, I think social proof should be everywhere. Reviews should be everywhere. People game reviews all the time on Amazon or wherever it is. I would just have reviews. We we tried this other thing, actually, where we did video reviews. Yeah. 
so basically we got customers to send in review, like, you know, record on their iPhone and hold up a stick of deodorant and be like, I love native deodorant. And uh, we'd send out emails across them and we'd hope Did that- you see the gun to their head in the back? <laughs> <laughs> and they couldn't see it. They- uh, uh, but nobody, like, like those email reviews didn't work at all on the PDP, which was surprising. They worked really well via emails to get people to buy because people would be like, this is like, you know- a 32-year-old woman with her newborn son. Like, yeah. nobody's, this is obviously not a paid review. And that was really effective via email, but not on the PDP. That said, I think you're absolutely right. Social proof everywhere, all yeah. over your website is the best. And I think the other thing with social proof is uh, a lot of people will put quotes on their site, but they don't put quotes that directly correlate to benefits that they know will work. Yeah. So for example, if it's native, Native definitely does this right. But like, it, for example, if it previously said, you know, I love the way that, the packaging comes, it's so easy and it arrives on time or, you know, it ships and it arrives on time. I've never had issues with delivery. Yeah. It's not going to be as strong as I used to sweat every day through my natural deodorant, but this formulation has completely gotten rid of that. Or yeah. this formulation absorbs everything. Yeah. You know, like that type of social proof is 10 times stronger than yes. any regular review. Yes. Yes. The next one is uh, making sure that your risk reversals are obvious. Most brands have this. Google Shopping actually requires it to be a part of Google Shopping, which is, you know, some sort of a refund policy, uh, 30-day satisfaction guarantee, you know, no hassle returns, orders over 50. Magic Spoon has this thing called a happiness guarantee. Most people have this, but it lives in a tiny little drawer in the FAQ. They don't display it on the PDP, or I like displaying it right underneath the add to cart button. It's like, right as you're about to make this big decision, let me just reassure you one more time. Yeah, you know who does a really good job of this is Harry's. Like, as you're checking out on their checkout page and their uh, cart page, they'll be like, you know, uh, no hassle returns, yeah. fast shipping, comes from the United States, all this stuff to get you to purchase. I'm not sure if they still did it. They did it a long time ago and it was super effective. I like love those icons that they put in. Like, you know, they're like very easy returns, all this. Right now, they still do a quality guarantee. If you don't love your Harry's order, it's on us. Yeah. Um, it's the awesome. The one that I love a lot that I've seen work well is like, telling people how fast their order is going to ship or where it's going to ship from. You know, it's like your order will ship within 12 hours from Wisconsin. Yeah. Your order will ship within 12 hours from Dallas. Yeah. Like just adding that for some reason pierces through the bullshit meter that most people have around social proof. There used to be this app called FOMO, mm-hmm. uh, which would be oh, yeah, like, you know, pop up. Yeah. Nick, yeah. Uh, uh, actually, let me tell one other thing about social yeah. proof that I was, uh, I forgot what I was going to say earlier, which is even airlines do this. Like when you're checking out and they're like, Hey, uh, do you want the ins- insurance? 4,200 people have said yes to, you know, this travel insurance, which I think is a complete bullshit lie, but they're still like, it's still social proof that they're showing. It's like FOMO. Hey, uh, you know, people are buying this. So you should yeah. too, probably. That is one of my favorite examples of conversion optimized checkout yeah. is when you buy a flight, you have uh, one option to make it a refundable flight. Yeah. Us Indians, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And then you have a second option to get the insurance. And yeah, literally set, like if you click no, it becomes all red. It's like 40,000 people just yes. did this in the last yes. seven days. Are yeah. you sure you want yeah, to do this? Yeah, your plane might crash now. Yeah. That's basically what they said. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We used to do that as well when people on our tra- on our post-purchase pop-up and our add-to-cart pop-up, we'd say the same thing. Like X number of people have uh, accepted this uh, today. Um, for the, uh, if we were doing like a, a travel size deodorant at the time or whatever, that was super effective for us. Let me ask you one other question on like checkout page or on cart page. Should there be any links to anything else? Like, I, like, you know what uh, Amazon does is they're just, I, I guess, let me ask you this first. Should there be a cart page or should there be a pop-out cart? Should there be anything there? Or should it just like, you know, should there be no distractions? Like on checkout, if you had a Harry's checkout, 
all of a sudden the low, uh, all of the links on checkout disappear. Same thing with Amazon. Mm-hmm. All the links disappear. You can only go back. Like you, you barely know that you can go back because yeah. they're like, don't accidentally click FAQ return. Like they're like, don't click anything. You're on the checkout page. Please just click, give us your money. Yeah. Uh, and I thought they did a really good job of that. I wonder if people should do that on their cart page. I'm a fan of that starting checkout. I do think for the most part, carts should be slide out, but it kind of depends because I do think in some more luxury fashion or luxury brand experiences, yeah. they like that separate cart page, Yeah, which I think is actually mainly stemmed from companies like Salesforce not being able to have an effective cart drawer. But um, I'm a bigger fan of the slide out drawer. I think okay. it's easier to use. If you're buying multiple items, like if you're planning to buy more than two things, yeah, you don't want to, keep, don't going want to back. keep going back yeah, and yeah. forth. Okay. Yeah. Nick, uh, Postscript is the sponsor for this podcast. I'm so excited about that. Uh, I'm an early investor in Postscript. I invested right after they graduated Y Combinator, and I wrote a really big check for myself into them because I really love the product and the guys who are running that business. You know, they told us when they were sponsoring this podcast to talk about their cashback product, which is a fantastic cashback product. I know True Classic uses it, Ben loves it, but I don't care about the cashback product. That's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about their text messaging. It's so good. Uh, Native is certainly a customer. And unlike Attentive and Clavio and all the other guys who do text, it's the only thing that Postscript focuses on. They're not sending out emails, they're not creating weird programs to uh, power reviews. Postscript really cares about text messaging and they're best in class at that. They created this amazing on-site opt-in for text messages. It's unique to them. Nobody else has it. And when they had this launch party, I remember talking to Cody at uh, Jones Road Beauty, and he told me that he saw an 82% increase in conversion for mobile signups by adding their on-site opt-in and 3x more revenue beyond their initial forecast as a result of it. It's really amazing. Uh, To learn more, go to postscript.io slash limited. Uh, Once again, that's postscript.io slash limited. Okay, on to the next one is reducing the total number of clicks to purchase. So, I mean, every study in the world will tell you that the more you can reduce clicks, the better chance you have. You know, every click is a a 50-50 chance that somebody's going to click through or somebody's going to say, you know what, I don't have time for this right now. Yeah, it's just friction. Yeah. Next one is leading with your best offer first. So if you're running an important promo or a discount, feature it front and center on your landing page. You know, if your hero has a thousand five-star reviews, feature that on the first on the site. Give yourself the best chance to succeed by leading with the highest and best offer. People will always get your offers, subsequent offers on email. Maybe they'll scroll to a different part of the site and see something else, but making sure your offer is loud and proud and really obvious. And even one thing I like to do with consumables is break down the cost. So I remember with Hydrant, uh, we did this test, which was we were running a $29 trial pack, which was 30 sticks. And we we used this messaging of less than a dollar per day. And that changed the landing page completely. A lot of people do that because like, I think Athletic Greens does it, although I'm not sure whether you're just like, look, it's not as much money as you think. Yeah. Although it's actually much more money than you think. We can't tell you that price. <laughs> so uh, we're going to uh, break this down to a dollar a day. Agreed. Oh, no, Athletic Greens doesn't do it. I take it back. The next one is uh, using large product imagery with bright colors to draw attention. So a lot of product imagery is boring. It's like single product. Out of the whole image, it's taking up 30% of that square or that size. And the rest of it's plain background. It's white. 
it's just like not effective. It's yeah. just such a waste. I call we tested that, this. Yeah, I call that oceanfront real estate. Yeah. Like above the fold on the product page, especially on mobile, that is oceanfront real estate that's just sitting there yeah. not being used. Yeah. And you could do things. You could add iconography. Jolie does, again, a great job with this. Yeah. They add iconography on the top. Frey does a really good job adding value props on the right side. And this kind of leads into the DPA combo later. But overall, like product imagery is you're basically visually conveying the vibes of your brand and who your brand represents through an image. The other thing I would say about product imagery is make it huge. Yeah. Like uh, size matters and bigger yes, is does. better. <laughs> I told Wait, you your reputation talking? precedes you. Uh, and, and like... You know what? We, we were terrified. Like, you know what? A couple of times people were like, why do we have this? We had two deodorant sticks and they're like, why do we have two sticks? Let's just put one and like, you know, make it a normal size. I was like, this looks like you're paying $12 for something so small. Like yeah. it's like a miniature thing. Make it ginormous. I wanted you to think that when you got the deodorant, it was going to be a six foot tall deodorant sitting right next to you. You know, yeah. you don't want to look you make your products look a tiny because they're going to look like they're a bad value. Right. You don't want to leave too much white space. Or not take advantage of that oceanfront real estate. 100%. So I think that's absolutely true. That's a great point. The next one goes right with that, which is to make your discounts visible. So if you've got discounts, if you yeah. if you've got a site promo that's active, yeah. put that in the notification bar at the top. Make it easy to copy codes or auto apply codes. Yeah. You know, don't let somebody being unable to know if their discount is applied or enter a discount stop them from you getting a sale. Yes. And I think you did a really good job with this by putting that coupon code field in the slide out cart, which is not native to Shopify or to rebuy or really to any of these apps that exist on Shopify. But you added that. And obviously that did well. I'm a fan of that too, because again, if the average, you know, 55 year old woman's going to the site and they don't know that shop pay or shop checkout is a separate experience than the front end of the site, you know, they might just think that there's no place to put the discount in and they're out. Don't try and make it hard to find a coupon code field either. Like, yeah. People are going to be like, I can't find the coupon. You, you're going to get some people who buy and then email you and be like, can you apply this coupon? But 80% of the people, if you don't make the coupon code field obvious, will uh, not purchase. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Like when we switched from Woo to Shopify, Shopify didn't have that coupon code field in the cart page. And we saw an instant decrease in conversion rate yeah. as a result of that. Yeah. And in re like overall, our WooCommerce website converted better than our Shopify website. Is that still the case? I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know yeah, if that's yeah. still the case. I would have to say there's far less emphasis on their website today than there was five years ago because sure. now natives everywhere. But like it converted far better on WooCommerce than Shopify, which was really surprising to me. The next one is to try an off-brand add to cart button. So everybody's got very boring, bland, blending in add to cart buttons. Sometimes the entire button's black and the text is very small, yeah. thin white text that says yeah. add to cart. Yeah, we talked about this with PF Candle Co., right? Yeah, exactly. Make that shit so loud so obnoxious, you should not be able to scroll and miss that or assume it's a part of the site's UI design or not to be clicked on, especially the hover state. If you have a desktop, like you should have a hover state. There should be some sort of, something should happen when you hover over. You almost want the same color to be used the entire journey. Yeah. Uh, whether When it's like add to cart, then it's like start checkout and then it's complete purchase or whatever it is. There should be the same color continuity, obviously, but that color should be like a unique color. So no one else, like you're not like, oh, where is this? Yeah. Like that color needs to stand on its own and be the only color that follows you around. Yes. To be like, my journey is green or blue or, a bl you know, not black, but like, you know, red. Okay, I click red buttons to move along. Oh, that's a great tip. 
I'm going to try that. Yeah, it has to be. The, it should be a unique color. This is yeah. a conversion rate. I remember when we did, when we were running caskers, we're like, oh, okay, it has to be the same color everywhere people go. So they're like, I know what color to click. When I'm looking at the website, if I d couldn't read, and you know something like 33% of Pakistanis cannot read, uh, <laughs> then uh, then I all I need is the color. You know, yeah, uh, the yeah, visual exactly, cue. to move around. Yeah, yeah. That's smart. Um, the next one I have is just declutter the site. So there's a lot of a lot of sites just have a bunch of vomit thrown on them. It's because there's so much thrown in. We saw this with PF candles, the collection in the collections page, the imagery is kind of up and down. It's not really side by side. It's not clean. Yes. Snap to the grid. And all that does is one, it confuses people. And two, it just makes people feel like they don't trust what they're buying from, who they're buying from, or that their product's even going to arrive. Yeah. I mean, we live in this bubble where we know these cool brands on Shopify. Yeah. But my mom has definitely bought at least three things where she's given, she's paid for it. It's never arrived. And yeah. those type of people are majority of shoppers. Definitely. You have to make sure those people feel like they're going to get their product. Yeah. I wonder if you should just write ships in 12 hours everywhere. Yeah. Like, you know, free, if ships, you know, it doesn't even matter if like, you know, it could be Christmas day Yeah, at 1am and it's not going to ship in 12 hours. Just write ships in 12 hours. Yeah. It's interesting. The next one is to treat the cart page like its own landing page. So in the slide out cart or on the cart itself, you should have the same risk reversals. So the money back guarantee, the happiness guarantee, whatever yep. it is. If it's empty, you should be able to click it. It slides out. It features reviews. So you want to show people again that like, yeah. hey, let's get back into the journey. Yeah. I love that idea. You mentioned that last week and I was like, this guy is taking advantage of empty carts. Yeah. If you have a product in there that has a subscription option, make that button to subscribe and save 40% or 20%, whatever that number is. If you've got a body wash in there, add the complimentary product that people buy most often. You can easily go into your data and look at, okay, if people yes. are buying this, what is the other thing they're most likely to buy? Just suggest that. There's a yeah. good chance the take rate might be there. And then of course, in the post-purchase journey, you can also use that real estate to gun, get somebody to buy something else or add to their existing order. Yeah. And I think in that cart page also, when you're doing the, like that upsell, that's also a great place to not just complimentary products, but also products where you might have like a low price point, but high margin because yeah. you know what you don't want someone to buy is like a $4 item on your website. Either they're going to have to pay shipping and you're not going to make as much. But if someone's already added a $20 item, yeah. probably pretty easy to get them to add a $4 item. For sure. Like you don't want to do a $20 item and add, like give them another $30 upsell. Totally. Like, you know, you want to do a lower amount. For post-purchase upsell, I remember going to um, some e-commerce class when I was, a, you know, a young, your age. The guys said, Would your post-purchase upsell the number one item and the number one conversion rate for your post-purchase upsell will be the exact same product they just purchased. So if they bought native eucalyptus and mint, sell them native eucalyptus and mint at a discount. So they yeah. just bought it for $12 or $13, offer them at $8. And like that, they'll be like, I just paid this much for it. The number one way to get them to buy on the post-purchase is to offer the exact same product at a lower price. It's not always the best thing for your brand. Sure. Uh, but it was like, he's like, this is the number one way to get an opt-in on post-purchase. Do you remember the take rate on that? Our post-purchase upsell was um, a travel size deodorant. Yeah. And it was 20%, um, which was wow. pretty hot. That's pretty good. Yeah. And we also tested price point, $3, $4, and $5. And believe it or not, the take rate was, uh, our, our, uh, we'd make more money if you took a $5. We, if we priced it at $5, we'd make more money. Our take rate went down a little bit, but the increase in price I see say, uh, like made up for it. But we even after well, I learned that and like we did an A B test and I was like, okay, five dollars is the best, but we still priced it at three dollars, 
because um, I just felt like five dollars was a ripoff. And I was like, I can't like, you know, people are like, you know, when I buy a Gillette razor blade and I, you know, I don't really buy them anymore, but when I used to, I'm like, I hate this company. Yeah. Like, uh, bring me that gun, like show me their headquarters. If there's like a, you know, show me that headquarters and I want to protest. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to be that brand where I'm like, okay, we're, if we can screw somebody, let's screw somebody. So we brought it back down to $3. Yeah. makes sense. The next one is use iconography. There are so many, like you could go to, I think the site is flaticon.com. Yes. And you can, there's 14 million icons that you can easily download for free. Anything that you think is a bullet point or a value prop, do not write it. Put it into an icon because one, that catches people's attention. Yes. Two, they can visually see it. And three, it makes it so much easier to understand info. And also it saves space on your site. Tell us what your best seller is, uh, yes. like with a badge Badges. as well. Yeah, put, you know why people put the allure badge, and you have to pay, once you win the allure award, yeah. they're like, now you got to pay it up, us, baby. Yeah, yeah. In <laughs> fact, it's the, probably the greatest uh, you know monetization scheme I've ever oh, seen, yeah. which is pay us for this. And I called them up and I was like, look, I'll give you fifty thousand dollars. Let me use this badge, and they're like, no, you have to win the award first. And I was like, all right, fine. Here's the thing. Now let me here's give me here's fifty thousand dollars. Like you have to pay them for it, but those badges really work. Yeah. So I think if you've won an award or can can attest to something like that, and that's I saw Jolie does that actually. They do mm-hmm. like everything in those types of badges. But also tell me what your best seller is, especially if you're like selling personal care products. When I go to a website, if someone's like, hey, you got to check out Skin Better Science, whatever it is, I want a badge to be like, this is what I should be buying, <laughs> not to be confused by being like, okay, like Skin Better Science sells vitamin C, like a neck firming cream, all these other things. And I'm like, I, I tell me what your best seller is. What are you guys known for? What's the yeah. Euro product? What does everyone buy from you? I don't want to make, make a mistake and purchase something else. If you happen to win those awards yeah. and you haven't paid yet, but maybe you plan to at some point in the future, don't name that image file allure winner bad. Oh, for dot sure. PNG. Yeah, yeah. Cause they're looking for that. Like they're looking got, for yeah, that. Yeah. They've got crawlers yeah, yeah. for every publication has crawlers. Yeah. Um, all right. Next one. Wow. If you have video on your site, uh, were you the recipient of one of those letters being like, Hey, uh, multiple, we you? all multiple. the time. Really? I can't even put the Forbes 30 under 30 on my own website without getting an email cease and desist being like, you have to pay us some, you know, five figure sum in order to have this on your own site. Really? Forbes says that? Yeah. What about on Instagram? Instagram, I or, think, is different. Okay, or Twitter. You can do it yeah, on Twitter. that's different. That's but so like, weird. There's actually a company that does this on behalf of the publications. I forget the name of it, but they do it for majority of them, and then I think there's one other company that does it too. They send out cease and desist letters and try and get Yeah, and they're like, yeah. oh, you're using this. You know, we uh, Depending on how big you are, they'll say either we want a flat fee or we want a percentage or we want a fee that scales up based on your site visitors. Wow, that's bananas. Totally fucked up. Yeah. There's a lot of these also, I'm not sure if you get any emails where people are like, hey, we're naming LA's like, you know, 10 hottest or like 10 smartest investors. And they want you to pay to be on the list. Yeah, pay $1,500 and you'll be one of LA's 10. I love asking, show me some other ones, for example, so (laughs) I can see everybody who's paid. paid? Yeah, 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 who are the suckers out there? Yeah. The next one is uh, comparison charts. So when I mentioned the word tentacles earlier, basically what I'm saying is this concept of like, if you have 10 reasons, somebody would, let's say we're body wash, right? Body wash that cures acne on your back. It's a real problem. Definitely. Let's say there's 10 reasons somebody would buy that. You know, one is maybe odor. One is uncomfortability when sleeping. One is, you know, you're trying to go and see a girl, whatever it is. If you can grab a tentacle and relate to somebody, then it's easy. Like you've done half the job. Then you just have to explain how your product fixes the problem and show them the benefits. Yeah. 
Comparison charts do a really good job of this because depending on who you're going to or where in the funnel they are, you can give them a point of reference and then tell them how your product is better. Yeah, you can be like, uh, they all offer this, but we offer this. Yeah, I love exactly. comparison charts. They're great. Why are you laughing? Uh, we did this at Native, and when we were selling the business, we were talking about the Unilever and P&G, and they were both, like, <laughs> They're both you have to take off this comparison. Both of them were like, you're going to take this down if we buy you, right? And I was like, all right, yeah, we'll take it <laughs> yeah, down. Maybe. And then, like, <laughs> you know, both of, like, well, I mean, they both mentioned that pre-acquisition. They're like, you're going to have to take this down. I was yeah. like, all right. I can just imagine that analyst, like, you know, in some suit, some finance office going through, he's like, hmm. He doesn't like PNG. No, we were just trying to like differentiate ourselves, like no, you mentioned. Totally. Yeah. And then they were like, um, you know, how is this going to hurt business when you take this down? And I was like, this is so below the fold. Yeah. You guys have no maybe. idea. Yeah. It's like <laughs> nobody is going to see, like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, next one is uh, it sounds obvious, but it's not obvious when you go to sites and look at it in practice, which is don't speak in value props, speak in benefits. Yes. Value props are features like a product being non GMO or organic. Benefits are how this product changes your life, telling you to help you achieve clear skin or be more confident to approach women, whatever it is. Yeah, talk, actually, to, talk to me about me, not about the product. Exactly. And it's it goes back to figuring out what are those few angles that work really well and making sure you can reinforce benefits there. You know, if you're selling a rice cake, don't talk about how it's low sugar, or low carb. Talk about how it's the easiest after school snack that a mom can make their kids. Yeah. Great. I love that. Cool. And the last one is uh, to measure everything. You know, don't necessarily, especially if you have a store with a ton of traffic, a lot of these are lever, or actually everything I mentioned is a lever. Some are bigger levers, some are smaller levers. You know, changing a button's design or a color, that's a smaller lever. Adding a comparison chart, that's a bigger lever. And make sure you're properly testing these things, not just throwing it all in and then thinking, oh, wait, this either worked really well or it didn't work really well, but we don't know why. Yeah, I guess the other thing I would say about that is like, make sure you understand what the size of the lever is. And then also make sure you have enough traffic to justify testing that size of the lever. Like, you know, if you're testing a very small change, like, you know, Amazon can test anything in probably 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, everyone else needs anywhere between three days and three months. Yeah. Like, you know, if you have a small change, you're not going to get statistically significant data for a really long time. Your gut isn't always right here. Like there are a lot of instances where I'm like, Oh, I didn't see that coming, but yeah. now we got to make this change. Yeah. The other thing too is um, make sure you actually need to do CRO testing. A lot of times it's like no one even is coming to your site. So yeah. if you have a thousand visitors a day or a week and you have, uh, you're testing a button color, you're not going to really see anything material and you're probably just wasting your time, Yeah, yeah. which is I think a worse crime than testing something that's minimal. Yeah. We never tested anything until we got to a million dollars a month. And I think that might've been like a low, a, like a high amount. They're like, mm -hmm. you should be testing way earlier than this. I'm still not even sure. And like a million dollars a month on a $12 item is a ton of traffic. Right. I'm not even sure that that was right. I think a million, like that was when we started seeing, okay, when we make a change, there is like a benefit that I can kind of see when it comes to revenue. It's not always, but sometimes if you're doing a hundred thousand dollars or less a month, I'm not sure a CRO is worth it. Like, it's not worth an expense. Yeah. Like, you know, you got to figure out your funnel first. You got to figure out whether the, like what ads you need to run or like how to get traffic. Do you have product market fit? Do you need a better product? Totally. Um, but yeah, I, I like all of these tips. Those are fantastic. Thanks for awesome. going through those. Do you want to go through that checklist that I was yeah. talking about yeah, earlier? Because I think that pairs perfectly with this. Perfect. So uh, this is basically a checklist of things that I tend to think of when we're basically just producing work whether it's for clients, whether it's internally, if you're at a brand, I think all this applies as well. The first one, shockingly enough, is just basically, do you have enough social proof? 
Like yeah. is wherever you're sending people, does it talk about the product in a way that's not robotic and actually shows that people enjoy it, use it, have tried it and it works? Oh, you love social proof. I love social <laughs> proof. <laughs> in fact, I love also finding ways to make social proof unique. Like for example, there's a Jolie landing page we're working on. And instead of writing something like, you know, however many five-star reviews they have, I changed it to write 10,000 plus people have posted on social media about Jolie. Yeah. In my head, that is a way stronger, way heavier weight line of copy than, you know, somebody seeing, oh, again, five-star reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, the next one is, uh, and I mentioned this earlier, but like, are you thinking about a user coming from a shitty phone service provider to your site for the first time? Yeah. If they're coming in with no context, is it obvious that what they're getting into, is it explained? Is there, is the problem being addressed? Like, are you telling us what the problem is so that you can then tee it up with the solution? Are you creating separate landing pages for men and women at Jolie? Right now they're the same, but we want to test yeah. creating different ones and also different use cases. Like their biggest one right now is about hair shedding and yep. hair loss because that just got clinically trialed. But like, there's definitely people who have eczema who get rid of it. And I think that's a huge angle. I think men having dandruff is another huge angle. So yeah, eventually that's the goal. Got it. Um, the next one is, is your imagery doing the best job at visually explaining what the product does? And my favorite example of this is Cadence. Their average product image actually shows you the product inside and it shows you how you can use the products in your suitcase, on your, you know, wherever it is. It just visually kind of puts the idea in your head of where you're going to use it. So even if you see the product and you're like, I won't use this, you might then look at their product and say, oh, wait, actually, I would use this. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, okay, would I use this for uh, lotions? And you're like, oh, you know what? I don't like to dip my finger in that. And then you're like, oh, they use it for pills too. So yeah. maybe I would put my medicine in here. Exactly. It is a really beautiful photography. I think it's the best in the industry. The next one is, are you double checking math? So, you know, we're marketers, not mathematicians. Yeah. But things like your percentage discounts, your fractions, you know, if something is 37, 36.2%, you can't say 37. You have to say 35 or 36. And just making sure you're double checking to make sure you're not saying anything that could land you in hot water or get you in trouble. Yeah. Oh, tell me the when you said something like when you messed up the math and you got in trouble. I remember six years ago or seven years ago, we said something like, 37% off just because I liked the way that sounded. Yeah. Three and seven is 10. Seven is always a number people think of, but it was 36 point something. And I got chewed out. We had to put it down to 35%. And not 36% because it was 36. No, because 36 sounds weird. Okay. But 35, I think we tested it and we found that 35 was better. Really? I thought you could, I thought if it was like 36.7, you could say, you can't say 37. Wow. No, at least not according to the CFO I was working for at the time. Okay. Gotcha. All right. The other one that I think is probably relevant here, but not directly it, is like, make sure you're testing dollars and percentage off. Make sure you're testing dollars and percentage off. Yes. Sometimes $5 doesn't sound as good as, or $5 yeah. sounds way better than 5% or 10%. Yes. And the other thing is like, if you can give free gifts when it comes to coupon codes, I'm always like the perceived value of a free gift is so much. And your yeah. cost, like, you know, like we would give out, like we'd say free travel size deodorant and like that cost us 60 some cents. And, uh, you know, you bought it for $3, but yeah. so if you bought it for $3, you, you think of it, it's worth $3, but it only costs us 60 cents. If we gave you a 10% coupon, you're going to save a dollar 20. That was cash. That was worth a dollar 20 to me too. You know, totally. your dollar 20 is worth the same amount for both of us. Right. So the travel size deodorant was a much better thing to give away. Interesting. The next one I have is, um, 
I call this like the the Indian dad test or the brown dad test, yeah. which is the so what. So like when you finish, you know, you finish a landing page, you finish a piece of creative, you uh, redesign a product page. The question is, so what? Like, what is this doing back to the holistic strategy or to a strategy? Like, yeah. does this map back to what we initially started doing when we started the project? Or is this just nicely designed and it just looks cleaner? Yeah. Uh, the other one is, you know, is, is this consistent in terms of uh, messaging throughout, which we also talked about earlier, but like, is, are the benefits consistent? If I click on a blue teddy bear, am I getting to a page with a pink blanket or am I seeing the blue teddy bear after I click? Definitely. That right there is where most brands lose their traffic. They show something in the ad, it goes to a generic homepage or collections page or whatever, and people drop off because what they clicked on is not there. Not only that, I would like I wouldn't even go to a pink teddy bear. I'd go to a blue teddy bear. You know? Exactly. Like you need that type of level of exactly. Uh, you know, consistency. Exactly. Um, next one is uh, which we talked about earlier. Are you giving the reader context and defining words or phrases as they get to it? So just making sure that you're not giving them things that don't make sense. And then the last one, which I always think about, is would your mom be able to navigate this customer journey and not have questions? Like, would somebody who is older than you? maybe not living and drinking the Kool-Aid that you are, yeah. can they actually get here, especially from a mobile device, and go through that journey? And sometimes that journey is not just click an ad to a landing page and check out. It's like, click an ad, go to the landing page, go to Google, type the brand name, see what pops up, see where those links are redirecting or, or what happens there, what they're learning there, email, all that stuff. So yeah. is that journey real and consistent and proving your point? The other part that I always thought was really like, you know, you want them to be able to understand the options. Like, right, if you're selling jeans, it should be really easy to change your size. Like, you know, if you're selling deodorant, it should be under, easy to understand what scents you have. If you're selling yeah. paint, it should be easy to understand what colors you have. And I think a lot of people will have like crazy drop downs or something to that effect. Don't make anything, you know, don't reinvent the wheel when it comes yeah. to your product page. Like, don't try and do anything out of the ordinary. People are like, this is what I expect. I should see what I expect here. Totally. Yeah, if you've got a drop down, make sure it's like styled properly. Yeah, that's don't right. Don't have that generic style. Yeah. Um, if you have one cent, don't have a cent selector. You have one option. Yeah, that's right. If yeah, you're yeah. selling something that's over a hundred bucks, don't add a quantity selector. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, nobody's really going to buy two of those things. Yeah. Oh, that's and the so other thing, actually, on that note, that is, is so uh, interesting. When I got to Hint, we had 15, 30, and 45, and 60 day subscription options. Just find the one that 80% of people go to and just offer that. 15, 30, 45 and 60 day. And what would 15 mean? You get it every 15 every, days? Every 15, 15 days, you get a new order. Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And have like a default that's like the one that most people are choosing. If you're not going to do that, yeah. at least uh, the default, like one of the re number one reason for us at, for churn was you'd be getting your deodorant too early. Yeah. And uh, we should, we, we defaulted to every two months and we should have defaulted to every three months. Yeah. But I was like, I like the revenue every two months. <laughs> yeah. This happens a lot in supplements too, like especially uh, non-ready-to-drink supplements. Mm -hmm. So tinctures, powders, yeah. capsules. You know, people go out, they have a long night. The next morning, they don't follow their normal morning routine yeah. or they go out, they don't follow their normal evening routine. Yeah. And the tub of creatine is not getting consumed yeah. as fast. And by month two, these people are churning. Yes. Because they're they like, have so wait much. a second, I have more than I need. Yeah, that's my number one issue with Create is, like, yeah. and I can't subscribe to that because I'm like, you know, I t I'm so... First, I'm not. I'm not taking the same amount every day because they sometimes stick together. So I'm yeah. like, some days I'll take two, and some days it'll be five stuck together. So right. whatever it is, and then I miss days, and I'm like, okay, um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want three bags of this sitting over here. Yeah, those are great tips. Yeah, yeah, uh, those are fantastic tips. Thank you. 
straight off the dome. Okay, awesome. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. That was so good. I love those. The 20 um, CRO tips is really yeah. fantastic. I think that's going to help a lot of people. Amazing. All right. Thanks for that, Nick. Of course. See you next episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one. 